Welcome to Beyond the Buzz, S&P Global Ratings Sustainable Finance Podcast, where we dive into hot topics across the sustainability landscape. Greetings and welcome to this edition of Beyond the Buzz. Over the last year and a half, this podcast has taken us all over the world, from droughts in India to a biodiversity crisis in the Amazon, and virtually everywhere in between. In today's episode, we'll discuss another global topic, the worldwide supply chain disruption and what it means for the myriad stakeholders that our analysis covers. We'll look at consumers, we'll look at labor, and as always, we'll look at climate change. And with me, as always, is Karina Bendersky. Hey, Karina. Hi, Mike. And, you know, it really does seem like supply chain disruption is an ESG topic that just hits home. I mean, I just moved apartments and trying to get a couch. Uh, there's a you know three month wait, but you know that's just one <laughs> example. But no one really can avoid it, and it seems like supply chain disruptions are taking a variety of different forms depending on where you are, what you do for a living, and what goods and services you purchase. So today we'll dive deeper into this highly relevant topic and explore what we think are some of the key ESG risks that might be deepened or are unearthed by this current crisis. Thanks, Karina. On that note, let's maybe dive into one of these topics. First and foremost, the reason probably that we're all hearing about this so much, and this is getting so much traction in the political arena and that it's inspiring such fervent discussion, is that it's starting to hit people where it hurts, in the wallet. We know that customers are a critical stakeholder group for any company. Now, Karina, do you think this is going to have a permanent effect on the dynamic between buyers and sellers, or is it something that maybe is just temporary and fleeting? Well, it's certainly something that's affecting them right now. You know, there's long lines, high rates, there are fewer choices. And, you know, as a consumer, you're getting a lot of reference to supply chain issues. So it's certainly there's the the COVID-related just logjam that's occurred in supply chains, which, you know, over time will probably improve. But there's deeper issues at play here. And I know we want to talk about labor, uh, but, you know, I think right now there's there's obviously you know, high demand and the supply has been uh, impacted by the COVID pandemic. But over time, these issues, these bigger issues, these other value chain and other stakeholders that are impacting the, the supply chain delivery may mean that some of these disruptions that we're seeing, particularly around pricing, may persist over the long run. And, and on that, I think, I think labor is, is really at the heart of the supply chain issues. You need dock workers to unload the cargo. You need truck drivers to move out of ports. And this whole concept of you know just-in-time delivery that many of us, particularly in the developed world, have become familiar with, only really works if you can deliver. I was researching this topic and, you know, truck drivers really came up uh, as, as one of the, the weakest link in this whole supply chain issue around COVID. We know truck drivers are overworked and frankly, they're overwhelmed and following, you know, it's, it's a tough job, uh, you know, these, these long haul truck driving um, positions. And we know that during the COVID pandemic, a lot of people really reevaluated what they wanted to do with their lives and thinking about, you know, are the wages compensating for the, the difficulty of the job? And 
saw a statistic that said, uh, you know, the American Trucking Association in 2019 estimated that they'd be short some 60,000 drivers. And a lot of that is due to retirements. And then when you want to bring new truck drivers on, they need to be trained given a lot of the the COVID-related closures and, and the new dynamics around health and safety. So I think that that the truck driver issue, I think, is is something that's going to potentially persist unless, you know, the, the labor market around around trucking improves. Yeah, and I guess maybe if I, if I think about this a little bit, along the same lines, we, we, we interact with a lot of companies and part of part of the goal of any company is to be as efficient as possible, right? They want to develop a supply chain that, as you say, it's seamless. It gets products from here to there as quickly as possible, just in time, uh, so that the the working capital requirements are are fewer, and that's that's good. I mean, that's a, that's efficient in a lot of ways. But these are increasingly global supply chains, right? That's the kind of the subtext here is that the these are are more diverse. They are they are across borders. And they're dealing with a lot a lot of a lot of people, and so they're just more complicated. And as a result of that. Uh, you know, kind of just one kink anywhere in the chain really can undermine a, a lot, you know, another, a value chain that's otherwise, you know, um, much stronger. And I think that's what companies to some degree are realizing right now, that they're, you know, that there's a cost to building in redundancies. There is a cost uh, to having backup plans and contingencies. And I think a lot of companies may historically, before COVID, have seen that that's an, an additional cost, uh, one that ultimately would be passed along to their customers and one that they didn't necessarily want to bear. And obviously, I think that the, that's materializing now. And you know, I think that the better management teams that we have seen, they have developed backup plans for all this. And I think that this is going to call upon management teams, political leadership, uh, NGOs to some degree, to help alleviate some of these, these backlogs. And, uh, you know, it's not something that's going to happen overnight, for sure. I, I think this is something that just it's, it's going to be a persistent problem because, as you say, Karina, you know, it, it's displacing labor a little bit. But as we've talked about before on this very podcast, the labor market is changing in part because of the, the energy transition and the way that our economy was transforming even before COVID uh, took root. Absolutely. And I think that your point around how global supply chains are and the how these supply chain disruptions are unearthing how deeply connected value chains are i think is is a really important one there's a really good example you know there's a huge shortage in cars right now and automobiles and that is stemming from a shortage in semiconductors that comes from plant closures in asia where they're made there's some estimates that 7 million cars were just not built because of the shortage in semiconductors. And you may not be familiar with the fact that semiconductors are an important component in automobiles, but that in turn has led to a huge reduction in supply. So I think this the global nature of supply chains is really important. The other piece of it is just the transparency in supply chain. Sometimes these disruptions are occurring from third, fourth tier suppliers so we know that some of the stronger companies, at least you know, in the ESG world, put a big emphasis on tracing their supply chains, understanding where you know their goods and services come from, you know, from the the raw material all the way through how its you know components are manufactured and and ultimately you know come to their production facilities or whatnot. So I think this this scenario or the situation that we're in 
is prompting a lot of companies to better understand their supply chains. And in terms of you know providing contingencies, there may be a, a refocus on more localized supply chains that comes out of this to the extent that's available, given the way that our resources are distributed around the world. Yeah. And that just goes back to the, the question of cost, right? Because the reason that these global supply chains are global in the first place, partially, is because companies see it as a way to reduce costs to find the global low-cost supplier. Uh, if you want to make it more domestic, uh, that might make it more resilient, but obviously it can it can add to the cost as well, which uh, is a trade-off that I think a lot of companies and ultimately maybe a lot of customers don't necessarily want to have to deal with. And then one thing you kind of touched on is the semiconductors, and that's kind of a global market you know that that introduces geopolitical concerns too, right? I think in a you know in a perfect world where all com- all countries kind of get along and and there's no you know intransigence in how they work together, that might not be an issue. But obviously, you know these are contentious times in certain parts of the world, and I, I do think that if you look at what's happening in Europe right now, with for instance with the, the inability to get sufficient supplies of natural gas. Uh, to to back up renewable capacity that's obviously not not performing at the same level that was hoped, you know that that's a geopolitical concern too. A lot of these countries don't have domestic supplies of natural gas, and now they're being forced to rely on countries that maybe uh, they they wouldn't otherwise want to. Uh, you know, a little bit less of an issue in the U.S., of course, but I think this is something that you know that is a hidden risk in some of the supply chains that we look at. Just maybe some of the governments that the companies have to work with maybe less than reliable in some cases and that risk is is something that uh, that really can upend supply chains especially when there are other issues like covid here and just kind of along along the same lines i mean i you know you brought up the point that uh, the, the covid it's kind of a once in you know once in a lifetime event that we've seen i do think as you said it's caused people to kind of reevaluate what work means to them and you know the the result of that is I think people are just holding out for for higher wages. Positions are staying open for longer periods of time, and I think it's emboldening organized labor to some degree. Uh, you know, especially you talked about truck drivers. Obviously, that that's that's one group that would fall into that category. But in general, we're seeing that wages are now going up, and this is after a long period where you know we saw stock the stock market exploding, uh, you know, but and GDP going up, but wages maybe weren't following suit, and and now we're actually seeing some evidence of that. So it is kind of to, to some degree empowering labor, uh, but it's also precipitating inflation, which we talked about, and that's uh, potentially a challenge. As we always talk about with ESG, it's potentially a game of whack-a-mole where you know you solve one problem and maybe create another one in so doing. And speaking of creating problems, you know, one of the issues, we've talked a little bit about the social issues that have come out of the supply chain disruptions, but another big one that we can never seem to get away from on this podcast is energy and is environmental risk. You know, Karina, you've done a lot of research around climate change, and you know, there's two ways to think about it here. One is on the energy transition, which we talked about a little bit, but also the physical impacts of climate change. You know, in your mind, how does that interrupt potentially the the value chains, the supply chains that we see throughout the globe? Well, I think the physical impacts of climate change, so more severe and extreme storms and weather events, just fundamentally disrupt the supply chain, you know, the the link, right? The the transport of goods and services. You've got cargo ships that are bringing goods and services from far off lands. You've got truck drivers who are distributing them domestically. 
And when you have a severe storm, like you know, Hurricane Ida, for example, that means that people, you know, these goods and services can't be transported. And it also in, it can create greater demand for certain goods and services that get impacted by storms. So for example, Hurricane Ida, which affected the eastern seaboard, it wrecked a quarter of a million cars that were just on the road given substantial flooding that occurred. You know, people need their cars so that increased demand for cars and then you run into the semiconductor problem. It's, it's again, cascading impacts. But, you know, the, the recent IPCC report or the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, they they put out their their latest report that looks at the the science around climate and they do an inventory of of how emissions have increased over time and do some projections based on the best available science and they're saying that extreme weather events i mean they're accelerating they're worse than that we thought initially and they're accelerating given all of the greenhouse gas emissions that are have bioaccumulated in the atmosphere so I think it's it's impacting the ability for supply chains to fundamentally function. And then in turn, it's also impacting demand as our, you know, the things that we rely on in our day-to-day -day lives get destroyed because you've got a major hurricane that, you know, affects us. So I think those are those are some of the ways that that climate change is is wreaking havoc on our lives yet again. Yeah. And if if I can maybe take that a step further. One of the things that the Biden administration has been talking about with regards to the infrastructure bill, the bipartisan infrastructure bill, is that it is a way to solve some of these supply chain issues. And part of what I think they're referring to with that is that our, our infrastructure, our supply chain infrastructure, so the, the ports and the airports, the places we rely on to get the goods into the country and then across the country – those, those are all not built to withstand the changing climate. And I think everyone, regardless of political affiliation, kind of acknowledges that to some degree. And you know, I don't know if the, the bill, it's going to solve everything, uh, but certainly I do think that our infrastructure needs to be made more climate resilient. And, you know, that, and we just have, yeah, we, we have a frail supply chain in a way that is susceptible to, again, to these ge geopolitical and, and to these you know, COVID type risks, but also to the physical risks associated with climate change, which, as you say, Karina, are, are only going to intensify in years to come here. And it, it's, it's, again, it's a problem that it's not, it's not going to abate, but, but certainly, you know, I think it's something where governments around the world have to be thoughtful about this, especially in, in parts of the world where infrastructure is perhaps a bit dated and where it's, you know, ill-suited to kind of deal with the, the, the reality of how modern supply chains operate. Absolutely. And you know what? The pressure is on, particularly because these issues are affecting consumers' pocketbooks, right? Uh, I saw a statistic that the consumer price index rose 5% over the last year. That's double the percentage it rose in the year before the pandemic. So, you know, when it's affecting consumers, those are important constituents and it creates a lot of political pressure to address some of these issues. So we'll see how all of these issues converge and the actions that are taken. Yeah. And with, with the, you know, as with a lot of ESG issues, and we say this on the environmental side all the time, but it's true here too. These price increases, they impact low-income customers a lot more. I mean, it's just something we realize that inflation hits 
people who don't have a lot of disposable income to a greater degree because what's being impacted is things like food pricing, uh, gas pricing, of course. Uh, lower income families, lower income communities tend to spend disproportionate amounts of their income on you know, on these on these items, which are being hit most acutely by inflation. And, you know, it's again, it's all happening at a time where where the stock market in general is is kind of advancing and, and going up, which tends to benefit people with significant amounts of savings, of course. And, and as always, you know, we have some stakeholder groups that are just more vulnerable and are more susceptible to this. And again, lower income people in addition to inflation issues are more impacted generally by the physical impacts of climate change, which we've alluded to here as well. And certainly the, the increases in wages we've talked about, I don't think fully really at all offset some of those, those concerns that the families like that are going to have across the world, you know, and, and Karina, you know, obviously thank, thank you for your thoughts on that at S and P we're, we're fortunate. We're in this position where we get to ask management teams what they're going to do about all this disruption. And I think that we have actually dealt with a lot of them who've been really resourceful. You know, even before COVID, they were highlighting that the, they thought supply chains in general were kind of frail and that they were highlighting this as a risk that they had to mitigate. Uh, but the question, of course, is that are, are these companies merely seeing this as a risk or are they actually doing something this? Are they dedicating some of their scarce resources to building in redundancies, to building contingency plans in case something like this happens. And I think over the next year or so, we're really going to see a, you know, a shakeout based on the companies that really have handled this well and the companies that maybe were not prepared for it or are not adapting in real time to what is obviously kind of a change dynamic uh, in, in supply chains. Uh, Karina, any last thoughts? Just to say, I think that the ESG lens is always useful, especially when we're thinking about something global in nature like supply chains and understanding how things up the value chain, like a supply chain in turn can affect stakeholders down the value chain, like consumers or operationally with labor. I think it, it really goes to show that this emphasis on ESG is unearthing a lot of interesting insights into how our economic system functions and the role that various stakeholder groups play uh, in in driving value beyond financial value. So I think I think this emphasis on ESG that we're seeing really gain traction around the world may help companies understand the ways in which they operate um, and the cascading impacts it has across stakeholder groups to make better decisions around how they they function in the future. So I try to remain hopeful with these things. I, I know my couch will arrive one of these days, um, but you know you're right. There's a lot of social justice issues that are persistent, but we'll see how everything shakes out in the future. We sure will, and good luck on your couch. It took us about three months to just get our kitchen table. And thank you all for listening to this episode of Beyond the Buzz. We'll catch you next time. Take care. To subscribe to Beyond the Buzz or to view our analysts' research, go to spglobal.com forward slash ratings. Thanks for listening and tune in for our next episode.